Well, welcome back to Raising Up the Next Generation. I'm your host, Dan McPherson, and my guest on the show today is Jim Putman. Jim is the co-founder and senior pastor of Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. Prior to his role as senior pastor, he served as a youth minister in two small churches. He's also the co-founder and leader with the Relational Discipleship Network. He's authored multiple books, including The Revolutionary Disciple, his newest book, The Disciple's Journey, and then the topic for our conversation today, Real Life Discipleship. Jim's passion is discipleship, centered on following the teachings and writings of Jesus, and he reflects that throughout all of his writing and teaching. Excited to have him on the show. Jim, welcome. It's good to be here. So share a little bit, I I read a little bit about your own personal story and personal journey. Share how you got to where you are and your heart for discipleship kind of birthed out of some of your own experiences there. Yeah, I was a a pastor's son, and uh, it it was tough to be a pastor's son. And, um, you know, my parents were were very committed, still are to this day, but neither of them had been discipled. They they came from a kind of a first-generation Christian home, or a first-generation home. Uh, they were first-generation Christians. And so they had a hard time learning that saying no to the church is not the same as saying no to God. And uh, because of their commitment to the church at times, especially when I was younger, what I felt like was over their own family. I, I grew to resent the church, honestly, mm-hmm. and the way they treated my parents, treated our family, as I saw it at the time, uh, led me to a place of bitterness. Some things got into our home at a very early age that impacted my life and the life of my my sisters, and and it led to shame and guilt. And and so I... Um, I went on to believe that I had to become something or be something. And the door to that for me was sports. And so if you'd asked me by the time I was uh, out of high school, what I was, uh, I was, I was a wrestler, an athlete, and I was a kind of anti-church uh, you know, not so so much a believer. Went to college for uh, wrestling and and you know education too, but wrestling and <laughs> right. And uh, um, if I would have called myself an atheist about that time, and and so uh, as time went on, though my alcoholism and drug addiction kind of took over and started losing the things that mattered most to me and my parents, who I had humiliated and and you know, disregarded for years were the ones who were still standing. And that led to open conversations about whether there was a God or not. And and uh, I was firmly convinced there wasn't. And they started sending me stuff uh, to read if I wanted their help. And mm. uh, I was struggling and, you know, with money and everything else uh, from scientists who did believe in God, which led to, okay, maybe there is a God, but which one? It can't be the Christian God. Mm. And then uh, they sent me some, I was a history major and became a history teacher. And they sent me some Josh McDowell stuff, a historian, 
who tried to disprove Christianity and became a Christian. And that led to, oh, no, it is the Christian God. <laughs> and there's no way I could be saved after all this mm. uh, that I've done, and which led to the gospel being preached. But I, I was blessed in that my experience with all that was my parents reached out to me, loved me, won me to Christ, but then they didn't do the whole, okay, now you're a Christian, here's your Bible, go to church. They they discipled me. My dad discipled me into what it looks like to be a Christ follower in every part of my life. And so as I, 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 I my journey went, okay, there's no God. Okay, there there is a God, but which one? Okay, it's the Christian God. Okay, I'll accept Jesus, but I'll never accept the church. And he discipled me into understanding what the church was about and what my part of it was. And then I said, all right, I'll go to church, but I'll never be a pastor. <laughs> and, um, you know, over the years I learned, you don't tell God what you're going to do and not going to do. You know, then I said, all right, I'll be a pastor, but I'll never plant a church. And then I end up playing a church. And so um, that that's kind of the journey. I, I, I didn't understand when I was growing up why Christians said one thing and did something completely different when they left the church building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a time when you're growing up where you just kind of disregard your parents and you start looking at everybody else who says they believe these kinds of things. And you realize that they oftentimes live one life at church and a different life at home, and they're not sincere. And, and But my parents always were absolutely committed. So then I started going, all right, well, maybe, maybe my parents are the freak show. And this isn't really true, and because most of the people I hung out with were so-called Christians who didn't act that way. And, and again, it came down to this whole, they hadn't been discipled sort of a thing. And part of my journey was, as my dad tried to share with me that, that, that he agreed that the church wasn't making disciples uh, in many cases, and, or people refused to be discipled. Um, you know, they wanted a little Jesus sprinkled on their life. And then, you know, that was the job of Jesus was to bless him and whatever they were doing. So they wouldn't put the commitment into that. He asked me uh, some really good questions. I had been raised up as a in, in sports and, in, and as a coach. And he said, do you think maybe God shaped you through this whole disciple making process through sports? so that you could take some of that back to the church. Yeah. So that's, you know, I, if you were to ask me when I got saved what I was a disciple of, it would have been I was a disciple of wrestling, mm. which included this process of um, learning to be a wrestler, recruitment to wrestling, then learning to be a wrestler, and then moving to learning to helping other people be a, a wrestler, and, and then coaching the wrestlers. And, and it, there's this process in Scripture by which you grow up, in the faith so that you actually can disciple others. Mm -hmm. And in and, and what part of what you've learned in the wrestling community and sports, did you not learn in church? Is there a, a way of doing this that's different than what has been done in church? And is there, is there a way for you to take that to the church? And so um, that was part of my journey is going, all right, what's the difference between the two systems or 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 programs it, it, not in the sense of like ministries program but a wrestling program is a development system starting from the little kids all the way up through coaching program yeah i that's a great analogy from your from your own experience and i know that you know for 
sometimes, especially as a, as a youth pastor with, with students who are involved in sports, you, sometimes it seems like sports are the, the low hanging fruit to say, why are they at sports over, um, over church Mm -hmm. or whatever else, but there is a discipleship aspect to that. And also sports offer an experience of, of being on a team of following of leading. And, and I love that you use that language being discipled by wrestling is is very easy for us to understand is you kind of walked through that process uh, a little bit there, but do you have a standard kind of definition for disciple? What, what is a disciple? Yeah. One of the problems you find in sports as well as in the church is depending on which team you're on, you can use different language for the same uh, terms. Mm -hmm. You, if you're coached in one system, you call a move something different. If you play football in one team, you have a playbook that calls a play by a different name somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so when you start to talk about discipleship, that word is used a lot by a lot of different Christians in different ways. Yep. And so just like in a sports team, you have to get everybody aligned. We found that if we're going to use these words, these biblical words, it's it's been so watered down. Uh, the devil doesn't mind if we use words as long as he gets to tweak the meanings and the words you know lose their power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, house divided can't stand. So we just said, all right, we're going to go through the scriptures and we're going to use biblical terms in biblical ways, mm-hmm. and then we're also going to use. Uh, um, it, we're not just for the the teachings of Jesus as written by the apostles. Um, we're for the methods of Jesus as revealed in the Gospels and in the New Testament. So we're about the teachings and the methods of Jesus. And so when we think about the word disciple, we say it this way. In the invitation of Jesus to his disciples is the definition. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So in the invitation is the definition. A disciple is following Jesus. Um, he's being changed by Jesus. He he says, come and follow me and I will make you. He's not talking about forcing you. He's talking about, I'm going to reshape yeah. you. You're following Jesus. You're being changed by Jesus and you're committed to the mission of Jesus. I'm going to make you a disciple so that you can make disciples. Mm. So when you think about um, this, uh, following Jesus, changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus, we then use some sorts of uh, pictures that go along with that. Uh, Jesus is our head our authority, we're following him. He, we're not leading him on our journey. We've decided to follow him because of who he is and what he's done. Yeah. So, uh, but as, as he is our head, he is impacting our head. In other words, what we know and who we follow. So he is our head being, impacting our head. Okay. Right. So who we follow, but also what we know. Yeah. He was always saying, hey, you've heard it said, but, but I tell you. Okay, so it, we're, we're following Jesus. It impacts our head. We're being changed by Jesus. He takes us as a, as we are, but he changes us. Changes what? Our hearts. Mm-hmm. So it's the head, the heart. Uh, it, it, we're learning to love God and love others. All of the commands of Jesus, Jesus said, hang on, uh, 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 the love God and love others. Matthew 22, 37. Um, uh, you know, love the, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second is like unto it, love your neighbors yourself. And all of the law and the commands hang on those two. So he's changing our head, what we know, who we follow, our heart, 
uh, relationship. You are not a mature G- follower of Jesus just because you know mm. and are obedient. Yeah. It's the heart that's transformed by the, the fruit of the Spirit in our life, by the Holy Spirit doing His work. Where you can know all mysteries and speak in the tongues of angels of, and of men, but if you have not love, you're, you're a clanging symbol, mm-hmm. right? So the head, the heart, and the hands. So He says, come and follow me, head, uh, and I will make you heart. Uh, fishers of men, hands. What He's given us as far as our abilities, our resources, all of it, are to be used for His mission. We serve Him um, with our hands uh, to make disciples. And then we always uh, talk about in the newer books with our feet. Where do we go in every sphere of our life? The he- you know the the abiding sphere, the church sphere, the home sphere, the world sphere, and in the spiritual realm sphere that are unpacked in the Book of Ephesians. So head, heart, hands feet uh is where we what we do where we go as disciples mm, yeah so those those biblical pillars those those scripture passages i hear matthew 4 matthew 22 ephesians is there anything else that you kind of go to at when as you read through scripture um thinking about teachings methodology uh anything else that you kind of hang your hat on there yeah, we, we talk about when Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, come and follow me. What he was really saying is come and be with me. Mm. So in that invitation is also also a methodology, relational discipleship. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he didn't mean go do it any, want, any way you want. He said, go do it as I did it with you. And they did. They went and and invited people into relationship uh, and they they walked together. Jesus didn't just teach them in a teaching session. He modeled for them in relationship what it looks like. Yeah. And uh, he knew what to teach them based on where they were at in relationship. So you think about um, many, let's use this example. You think about uh, when Jesus uh, washed his disciples' feet. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, well, how did that all come about? Well, Jesus is walking, you know, with his disciples, and they're arguing about who the greatest of the kingdom of heaven is, and, right? So Jesus doesn't go, well, let me do uh, in the next six weeks a, a series of lessons at the Sabbath synagogue. He's like, no, how does he know what they're de- they're dealing with? He's in a relationship mm-hmm. with them. He knows what they need based on what he sees mm-hmm. in relationship. Mm-hmm. And then what does he do? In relationship, he doesn't just teach something. He models something. He washes their feet. And a lot of times we want to take the the teachings of Jesus and divorce them from the methods of Jesus, but we want to get the results of Jesus. Mm. And and Jesus is saying, go make disciples as I did it. And somewhere along the line, discipleship became about knowing the right information, a transfer of information. And, And we forgot that everybody is a disciple who's supposed to make disciples. We forgot that real maturity in Christ, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another, the the heart, the head, the heart, the hands, in a process of discipleship that releases people to make disciples. Pastor's job is not to be an entertainer. He's a coach who's supposed to be equipping people for the works of service so Mm -hmm. the body of Christ can be built up. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about um, all of this, you, you, you see this process. And so what we do also is we go, okay, let's, let's follow 
Jesus, how he did what he did in the Gospels. And then notice that the early church did the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So Jesus came and he shared his life with people. And then he shared the truth with them. And he invited them into connection. So we call it share, connect, SC, share, connect. In connection, he took them as they were. But he started to teach them new things, and he, and he connected them in relationship to himself. And, and he was trying to do this connection to help them be connected to one another in relationship. In that connection relationship, he started teaching them to minister, to become ministers mm. to the needs of the people around them. So you see share, connect, minister, and then he released them to make disciples and they did. They went out in, in Acts 2. They, they shared the good news about who Jesus was. They connected in the temple courts from house to house. They He trained them to start selling their possessions. Uh, the disciples, sell your possessions and goods to give whomever had need. Mm -hmm. Minister to the Greek widows. And then he sent them out. Then they sent them out. Philip was a, a deacon who heard the message of Christ, connected in relationship, started serving with their ministry skill sets, taking care of the widows and orphans. And then Philip ends up in Samaria reproducing the process. Titus and Timothy, uh, Paul shared the truth with them, connected in relationship with them, was training them for ministry, sent them out. And you see this raising up reliable men who are able to, to teach others. And what we've done with the church is said, most people are spectators. There's a few people do all the work for them. The job of the people is to bring somebody to church so that the pastor can share the good news. The pastor can can uh, you know connect them to God, and he's his job is to to disciple people by transferring information because he can't possibly model and be in relationship with everybody. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be a transfer of information instead of training people to actually make disciples. And so our goal here is to do everything we do with the end goal in mind of having people become the disciple makers and shepherds of their home, mm. becoming those who share the gospel where they work, live, and play, uh, who know how to, in relationship, raise up other people. Now, within all that, some people are gifted to be leaders, mm. but everybody is gifted to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Mm -hmm. Man, so good. So much there. You... Is Real Life Discipleship the first book that you you came out with? No, I started with a book called Church as a Team Sport. Okay. Which which was, uh, you know, our church exploded, it grew and all that. And so everybody's going, what's going on? And so it just really shares the key concepts of how this place kind of gives a history of how this place happened, but the key concepts and, the, and um, you know, what I had learned from sports that transferred into a disciple making culture here. And then uh, I did a book called real life discipleship and then, you know, a disciple shift and new ones coming out called relationship. And, but over the years, different things along the way. Yeah. The, the crux of my question there. And I was, where did you come up with real life or why did you use that language? Real life ministries, real life discipleship, share the heart of that and what, what you mean by that there? Well, first of all, one of my core beliefs is that when you look at what Jesus did, who did he choose? He did not choose the people anybody else would have chosen. Mm -hmm. He chose real life, regular, everyday people. Mm -hmm. the, the story of the of 
of Jesus is he didn't do anything the way anybody else did it. He didn't choose the the gifted, the equipped, the educated. He used regular everyday people because the story is not about how we're the heroes of the story. It's about how Jesus is the hero of the story. And he uses regular everyday people. He gets the credit for it. Mm -hmm. So we wanted real life people, real, pull it out of the, uh, you got to go, well, I'll use this example. One of the problems I see uh, in the church, and I unpack this in um, uh, Church of Team Sport, is there's a difference between a college coach and a high school coach. A college coach goes around the country recruiting people who have already been developed. Mm. Now, he develops them further, but he recruits college uh, or high school state champions. And, you know, um, a high school coach cannot recruit outside of his own school district. Mm -hmm. So he has to start a little kids program, a junior high program, a high school program. He has to develop it from the bottom up. Most churches um, are college. Most pastors are college coaches because they're looking, they go to Bible college to find somebody or they steal somebody from another church rather than raising up disciples mm. to become leaders and coaches in their own church. Mm. So we wanted it to be real life, real coaches, real, it, but we called it ministries for this reason. If you were to do a word association game with the unchurched and say, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word church, it was very rarely be a positive thing. Mm. If you were to ask Christians what they think about when they think about the word church, they're very rarely right about what they think about it. We use the word real life ministries, and we got that from 2 Corinthians 5, because it says you've been reconciled to God through Christ, and you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Mm. You're a Christ's ambassadors. We wanted everybody to know that the church's job is not to build it and they come to us. It's to reach out to minister to your community through every person. You're unleashing a spiritual army on every uh, entity, the schools, the, 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 the workplaces, the, you name it. You're, every Christian is a minister of reconciliation. We serve, we care. We, it's not for the special elect mm. or the missionaries. Mm -hmm. And so we started with this view of we're coaches a coach is, a coach is successful by who he puts on the field. I always ask pastors, you know, on the in the team, if the team were football, how many positions is the coach going to play? And they always go one. And I always go, no, zero. Yeah. There are 11 positions. Yeah, that's their a great point. Yeah. Is to, their job is to raise up people who right. play on the field. Now mm -hmm. you have a position as a coach and you should be practicing the same things you're asking other people to do when you're out in the community, but understanding that we have adopted so many ways of doing church that are unbiblical and they don't work for what we're shooting for, mm. um, for what Jesus was shooting for. And, and the church has become, different than what God intended. And God has no obligation whatsoever to bless a church. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to be his church? Yeah. And we've got to get back to doing that. Yeah. Well, everything that you're saying makes complete sense. So what, where is there the disconnect in our minds when we, when we look at scripture 
when we see the teachings, hear the teachings of Jesus, see the methodologies of Jesus, you've just laid it out in what seems to be a very simple, very easy to understand way. Where do you find people have the disconnect there? What 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 is misfiring um, in in that that causes a a rift or a misunderstanding of discipleship or what that what that looks like? Well, there's several places. I mean, you know, if, if, if again, it's for me, it's very simple in that if a coach thinks he's a player, uh, and I've experienced that where I was recruited in college and uh, the coach was supposed to help me win, but the coach was wrestling, trying to wrestle for the Olympics. And so rather than coach me to win, he'd actually brought me in to help him win. Mm. Interesting. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, if I won, it wasn't build me up. If I beat him, it was, he was, you know, I, man, I'm, I stink. I'm mm. terrible. You know, pastors have forgotten what their actual role is and what, and, and who the people are, mm. what, what their role is. So if you don't understand your role, if you don't have a clear definition of what you're shooting for, um, you know, it, I always think about it this way. If I used the methods the church uses in wrestling, how would that work? What would I come up with? So I, uh, one day a week, I have a practice where I show them how to hit a move. They sit there. They watch me hit the move over and over again. And then we sing about wrestling. And we take a little cracker that reminds us about wrestling. And I, I after I get done for a, an hour showing them about wrestling, and I'm doing all the wrestling, and there's no, you know, um, what do we have at the end of the day? The best we'll ever get is informed spectators mm. who know what somebody else ought to do or know kind of, well, that's a single leg, but they can never actually wrestle. Because in wrestling, your job is to show them move, but at the end of the day, that they can actually learn to do it and then help somebody else do it. Our methods are not producing what we value. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to get back to going, who is what, what is who, how does this work? And what is winning? Mm. Winning isn't having. Uh, when I when I was in wrestling, I got uh, asked. I was for the first ten years, I was a head wrestling coach at high schools, um, as well as a youth pastor. And one of the schools, I just came to say, "Hey, I'd like to help with wrestling." And they just lost their coach, and so they said, "Would you be our our, our coach?" And I said, "Well, okay." My my question was, "Well, how good is the team?" And the the, the uh, principal said, "Oh, we have a great team." We have more kids coming out than ever, and it's just it's really getting exciting. And I said, "Well, so, so how did they do last year uh, in their duels?" And he said, "We were zero and 11. I said, "Well, how did you do the year before that?" Well, we were zero and eleven. I go, "Well, how? When's the last time you won a duel? It had been like you know four years." And I go, "So, so why do you think your team is a good team?" Well, we have more kids out than ever before. And I go, no, you have more kids that lose than ever before. I'm glad you have a bunch of kids. But if you don't have kids that are learning to wrestle and getting better at that, you're not a good team. You just have a lot of people. Hmm. And so that's why um, this whole these churches that have a lot of people that attend, that doesn't impress me. You know, um, now, do I believe that if you. If you make disciples and you reach people who are reaching people, can you have a big team? The question is, sure. The early church, 
3,000 in one day, 5,000 the next week. You know, it's spread throughout all over the place. Um, so just because something's big doesn't mean they're actually winning. There's more questions that need to be asked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's understanding who you are, having a, a shared language. You know, uh, you know, the Tower of Babel, uh, one day they can do anything, change one thing, and they can't do anything the next day. They change the language. We have so many different forms of Christianity and misdefinitions and different definitions. And if we don't get aligned and start understanding who we are and what we are and put together systems and practices that end up with people learning to be in relationship and mature in Christ and able to make disciples, then then we've got a bunch of people. And again, I always say this, wrestling is one of the only sports you know, biblical sports. Um, meaning, so that's why meaning I recruit, Meaning the Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, mm-hmm. right? So it, it, here's the deal. The reason our people can't wrestle and win against the enemy is they were never taught to actually wrestle. Mm-hmm. They were informed spectators at best. We have got to get back to getting our people ready, clarifying terms, putting coaches in the right roles who have the right objective at the end, uh, measuring winning uh, for how God measures it. And, and that's going to, it takes a whole overhaul based on the box that we were handed in our culture at this time in this place. Uh, not just get in the box and, and decide that's how, no, we got to get out of the box and go, is that even the right box? Mm. And honestly, as I look at the church in America right now, they're living in the wrong box. Some of them are trying to pick up the methods, but they're not sticking to the teachings. Some are sticking to the teachings, but not putting people in the, in the right methods and in relationship. And uh, the church right now overall is losing in America. Uh, well, let me say it this way. The Lord's church isn't losing, but most churches aren't the Lord's church. Hmm. And therefore, they're not even keeping the ones they've got, let alone reaching anybody else. Hmm. So you, you lay out in in the book and you shared uh, briefly earlier kind of the process that you have uh, share, connect, minister. And then I think there's, there's one more after that. Disciple. Um, That. Disciple. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Um, So the, you have, you have a process and processes are really important. You also share uh, a few warnings there. What are some, what are some pitfalls that you found in developing a process or having a process? What are some things to be careful of, some things to to be aware of? Yeah, um, one of the things that we did, we started with SCMD, and then we put together a spiritual growth wheel that a lot of people are using all over the place. And inside the wheel, you have uh, what we call the stages of spiritual growth. Uh, it starts with everyone is dead. Um, we're all dead in our transgressions and sins, but through faith, we become infants in Christ. And then we become children, and then we become uh, young adults, and then we become parents. Some folks have added uh, grandparents to that, um, to that wheel. Mm -hmm. But, and so who do you share your faith with? Somebody who's dead, right? Who who you share your life with? Uh, Somebody who's dead so that you can share your faith. And then once they get born again, they become infants, and infants need you know, somebody to to continue to invest in them and help them uh, grow up so that they can become 
uh, children and, and then young adults and parents. And so we put the, the outer wheel SCMD along with the inner wheel, dead, infant, children, young adult, parent. One of the things that you have to be careful about when you do that is um, it is measuring people, at their value based on where they sit in the wheel. Mm. And so, um, you know, we we also talk about how you know where somebody's at. We call it the phrase from the stage. Um, uh, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. By being in relationship with people, you can actually hear and see where they're at so that you know who they are or where they're at. And then you can help them take that next step. But some people, you know, go, well, I'm a I'm a young adult or I'm a parent and I'm better than an infant or a child. No, not true. Uh, your equal value, um, but but your ability to be purposeful and intentional mm-hmm. and and uh, your ability to serve well and represent the Lord well can be impacted by where you are yeah. in the in the wheel. Jesus said that children were, in my opinion, the most important to him. Right. So it's not. You're not looking at just because you can do more makes you more valuable. Uh, you're equally valuable when you're a child of God. You're just in a different stage. Yeah, so you got to be careful of doing that. Yeah. And then secondly, it, it, to think just because you're a parent doesn't mean you can ever slip back into childhood is ridiculous as well. The difference between a, a spiritual parent and a child is when a child acts like a child, they go, yeah, that's what's wrong with the way I'm seeing it. Whereas a parent acts like a child, they're like, man, I'm acting like a child. Mm. I mean, I, this is true. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that I, I got that in a, into a fight with my wife. And I actually heard this come out of my mouth. You started it. <laughs> and it's, as soon as I said that at the time, I'm being a child, right. I'm acting like a child. And, you know, as the Holy Spirit starts to get you, you're like, wow, I'm being a child, which just means you confess it to the Lord. You ask for forgiveness. It doesn't matter whether you started it or, you you know, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm a Christ follower. That is not. So we all can slip back into acting like mere infants, as Scripture said. We ought to be more, uh, but we fall back. And, And so part of being a mature disciple of Jesus is to recognize you don't reach a level of perfection while you're on planet Earth, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, Paul said, not that he had already attained it. You know, it, understanding what maturity looks like is accepting that you still battle with your flesh. You don't win every day. If you say you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. You know, and, and understanding what maturity looks like is super important. Mm-hmm. When we when we think about and part of this might be just society and the way that we we learn and we grow, when we when we think about discipleship and being a disciple, often it's easy to think about it as an internal thing, a, a personal thing. I'm growing in my um, in my relationship with God. I'm growing in my discipleship. It's it's personal and and again, part of that might be our the education system that we have or or the the way that we learn and a lot of it is individualistic in our in our culture that's possibly where it comes from but the the phrase making disciples go and make disciples and be being becoming disciples who make disciples it's is such a key distinction and often i think a a significant and difficult shift to make and so 
as you, in your writing and your teaching, how are you challenging people to make that shift from, okay, this is just not just about you personally, but then moving externally to the people around you? Yeah, I think, it, it, remember we were talking about the head, the heart, the hands, yes. following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed in the mission of Jesus. As you follow Jesus and you hear his commands and you see what he does, you start to understand that at the heart of Jesus is love. Hmm. At the heart of the Father is love. So all the commands hang on to uh, two commands. All these rules really hang on protection and promotion of relationship. So, so when I see somebody who's making a mistake, like let's say I see um, somebody who who is a Christian who has done something that's wrong, right? And I'm offended by that. I'm hurt by that. I, I you know, I want to lash out or whatever. If I, if I understand Jesus and understand who he is, I start to see that person, if they're a Christian, I'm not just a child of God, so are they. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the statements that we'll make around here is, be careful what you do with another man's son or daughter. All right, so, so think about it like this. Um, I'll just give you an example of my my own son was a drug addict. He's in the ministry now, but he was living in a homeless shelter. And there was a guy who had read one of my books, and he was in their church. They were working down at the homeless shelter, and um, they they he he recognized my son's last name, found out that he was my son, and and he started. Uh, taking my son to lunch once a week from the homeless shelter. He was there for four, four plus months. Never called me, never said one thing to me about it. Um, he actually went and got my son because my son started going to, to AA meetings at the different places three times a day from that hom- homeless shelter. And um, so he got him a bike so he could ride the bike mm. to the homeless shelter, or to these places. Wow. So my son... Finally, it hits bottom, accepts the Lord. And we had had to leave him there. As much pain as that cost me and my wife, every day was just death for us because we tried everything to help him. And finally, we're like, we just got to let you stay where you are, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But my son comes back home. And one day we're talking and he goes, yeah, uh, this guy, this pastor of this church started coming out, bringing me to lunch. And, and, and I'm like, well, what kind of things did he say? He says, oh, it's all the same stuff you had said. But he would, when I would be mad, he would say, you do know that your dad loves you and it's killing him that you're here. Hmm. And it, it, he kept pointing my son back to us, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, I find out and I call this guy. And I said, hey, I just want to tell you, I found out that you were doing this for my son. And, and I just want to thank you. He goes, well, I read a book that you had read and it just made a difference in my life. And I just thought, you know, it's the best thing I could do to thank you is to go deal with your son. And I said, you know what? Usually when you want to thank somebody, you call them on the, on the phone to thank them. But, you, but what you did, you couldn't have done anything greater for me than what you did mm-hmm. as a dad. Yeah. Now, I want you to think about this. As you start spending time with Jesus and you start understanding that everything he did 
He did because he loved us. And you start to understand that when we're witnessing to somebody who's lost, we're doing that because we love Jesus. And, and, and Jesus did so much for us. He changed our heart and our mind. He, it, the best thing I can do for Jesus is to point one of his lost kids back to him, mm-hmm. back to the Father. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So my, my, my winning people to Christ isn't like this task I take on. I'm coming, I understand the heart of the father and how much he loves that lost person or how much he loves that kid, that, that, that spiritual child in the church who's, who everybody else would get offended by and they'd kick him out. But because I love the father and I know how much the father loves that, mm. that kid, I'm going to, I'm going to give them not what they deserve, but what I know the father wants to give them. Mm-hmm. See, if you, if you just follow the rules and you don't understand the heart behind all of that, you don't go witness. Mm. You don't witness to the next door neighbor because it's not means nothing to you and you're busy. But if you understand the heart of the father, he's waiting to return because he wishes that person to hear about the love of the father. Then it's an act of worship to share Christ with somebody. Mm-hmm. You see how if you disconnect the heart behind all of this and it's just the head and the hands, you can actually go out with your hands to witness to people and, and completely miss the point. Yeah. The Pharisees. The Pharisees straightened out the gnat and swallowed the camel. Mm-hmm. They were they. When he, Jesus said, "When you go make disciples, you make more a son of hell than you yourselves are." You've forgotten the heart of the Lord is mercy. Mm. You the, what you do is not representing the Father. And so, as disciples of Jesus, we're following Jesus. As we're with Him, we're starting to understand the heart of Jesus for the tax collector. For the woman at the well, Mm -hmm. for the woman who's caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. We start to understand we're going with the message of reconciliation. The Father wants you to come home. And in my love for the Father, the best thing I can give to the Father is I do this because I understand his heart now for those people. Mm -hmm. Now my disciple making becomes different. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Man, what a beautiful story to to illustrate. So, uh, So so poignant and and ties in so beautifully with with the heart of the father for us and uh and then reaching out to people and bringing them bringing them back to to the father you you've kind of shared throughout several several moments there was one moment in particular where you um you kind of sh- expounded more um, more heavily but we have lots of definitions for disciple there's uh we're kind of scattered in with regard to our definitions our understanding as as churches specifically in in America uh, so as you kind of look around share some encouragement for the church in America share some encouragement for um for leaders of churches who are who are trying to pursue pursue Jesus and and live into into discipleship well, I in the relational, we started here at Real Life and, you know, with just a couple of families. And, you know, now we've planted, you know, a lot of churches and I'm getting to see these churches stick to the mission, you know, the teachings of Jesus, you know, and, and the methods of Jesus creating kind of a community of Jesus, which then reaches lost people. But it also, um, when you start making disciples who love well, as you battle, you're not battling alone. I, I, I see so many pastors are so lonely. That's mm-hmm. why I wrote this book called Relationship, because they're so lonely. They're the loneliest people in the world. And as the head goes, the body falls. When I'm watching these guys, these churches being planted, 
that are sticking together and they're doing this together and people are getting saved, but they're, 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 they're thriving in ministry. It's really encouraging. And, mm-hmm. and we started this, what's called the relational discipleship network as we train churches. And now there's a hundred plus churches out there that are, are making disciples in relationship in those communities. And so uh, getting to see these uh, in a world that's so divided and, unstable and lonely getting to see these folks who are thriving out there on the mission field in America and and around the world. A lot of these churches that have uh, changed here, it's impacting their missions work because they're saying, Hey, wait a minute to those missions folks in the rest of the world. Don't follow the American example. It doesn't work for us. Don't follow that. Follow Jesus' example. Mm. And there are other churches that are kind of getting a wake up call. And I, I think about a guy that I know named Dave Clayton and, and, uh, and, and, you know, Dave Young, and there's pastors around the country that are, uh, Bobby Harrington's doing a lot of work with Renew and Discipleship.org. And, and it, I'm watching this spread where we're like, hey, wait a minute, we, we got to do something different because what we're getting out of all this from our Christians is not what we were hoping for. And, and, and rather than swinging the pendulum, you know, onto the next fad. It's let's get back to the ancient way. Jeremiah six, you know, we've come to a crossroads. Let's get back to the old way. Jesus was the greatest disciple maker in history and he knew what he was doing. And those ways of getting back to the ancient definitions, the, the, the church started with the practices, the let's do it. His way works in any generation. Um, and, and so let's define the church as it was defined in the first century built around King Jesus the Lord and Savior of our life, walking the race marked out for us in community, um, no matter what the world says, let's do it his way. Uh, it, it really does work in every country and every culture when we do it, do it our Lord and Savior's way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. It's not easy. The war is on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when it comes to the churches, you know, many of them are going, hey, let's just change the, the ancient theology and then we'll make more people happy because we don't want to be offensive. But Jesus said the gospel is offensive. Mm-hmm. One way to salvation only through Jesus, a real heaven and hell. I mean, when are you going to stop trying to become unoffensive and just go, our job is to point to the to Jesus, to stick to his word, no matter what anybody else says about it. And and. You know, the Bible said in the end times, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure. They'll, they'll bring teachers that will tickle their ears. We don't have to give up the truth to reach lost people. In fact, when you do that, you actually, um, um, you're, it's a big mistake. It's huge. It will impact you. It will impact uh, the people, the disciples that you make. And it sets a horrible precedent. Uh, it is hard to be a believer on planet Earth, but it's also good. Mm-hmm. And, and just stick to that. Yeah. I I thought of this question at the very beginning when you were talking about your experience growing up and out of that experience. What have you what are some rhythms that you've created in your life to uh, develop a healthy relationship with home and church and leadership and what are some things that after after seeing your parents and kind of how the church treated them uh and and now leading a ministry uh what what are some things that 
that you have cultivated in your own life to to be more healthy in that sense? Well, I think you have to define health again, biblically. And so that's why we go through the five spheres in the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a personal abiding time with Jesus, you will not bear fruit. Mm. Um, if you don't have a church life that's built off of abiding in Christ, you will be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't set boundaries around your home sphere, where there's connection, it, it flows out of your abiding. And, and yes, the church plays a part in all of that. If you don't have these boundaries that you set up and understand what that looks like, then, then you know, you're just kind of floundering. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, Having and again, this is in some of the more uh, recent stuff, uh, uh, the real life uh, disciples journey and, um, you know, a revolutionary disciple and some of these things that we've done. The uh, the five spheres as a kind of a framework for a healthy life and then abiding in Christ and abiding in relationship with my brothers uh, and sisters in Christ in relationship. uh it has kept me grounded. Mm. A lot of pastors think, okay, it's me and Jesus, but if you're abiding in the body of Christ, then, then there are other people that God wants you to have relationship with as a part of that abiding. So yes, it's me and Jesus, but it's me and Jesus and other believers Mm -hmm. that I have relationship with. And, you know, is it difficult to be a leader and also be vulnerable and honest and let people speak into your life? Yes, it is. But you don't do that you get off track real fast. And so this concept of, um, you know, I wrote a book called The Power of Together, which is for like the regular everyday person and then disciple, excuse me, a a relation shift is built for leaders. But this concept of of living, uh, using the, the airplane analogy, they say that, you know, you lose air, they drop a mask, put it on yourself first before you put it on your children, you'll pass out, you all die. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to have a spiritual life as God designed it, which strengthens you at the core of your life? And it includes the spirit of God, the word of God and the people of God. And and when that's right, then you're able to get through whatever problems come. And oh, believe me, problems come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a I'm a, I'm a I, I disciple people personally. Uh, I'm in relationship with people personally, honest, open relationship with peace people personally i have boundaries around my home life uh and what that looks like and so getting back to god's definition of terms living that out personally enables you to stay the course um within the body of christ yeah great word for pastors and leaders and lay people alike for sure well, this has been a great conversation, Jim. Where can people go to find out more about you, about the ministry, about your your books? Uh, you can go to jimputman.com for the books. Um, go to Real Life Ministries as the church. And uh, the Relational Discipleship Network is a national conference of churches or a national group network of churches that work together to encourage one another. It, it comes with, uh, it, you know, resources. It comes with uh trainings, uh, little mini conferences that are built all around experiencing something rather than just hearing about it. And then, and then um, it's got coaching built into it. So there's a lot of places where people can start to move towards what does it actually look like to clarify some of these terms rather than perpetuate 
what we were handed, which isn't working for us or, any, or anywhere else, usually, or anyone else. Let's get back to getting on a firm foundation so we can work from that. Mm, yeah, great, great. To finish, I asked two questions of each of my guests. And the first one, I love continuing education, continual learning. So what's something that you are reading right now, listening to right now, that is encouraging you or challenging you, something that you're you're learning? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I, you know, I'm reading a book from Paul Tripp. Mm -hmm. uh, it talks about the 12 doctrines and that book has been super powerful right now. Of course, I, I don't never agree with everybody on anything. Sure. I don't even agree with some of the books I've written after a few years. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I've changed my view on that. Right. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm reading, uh, uh, Cesaro's book on an emotionally healthy church, mm -hmm. And again, it, it, just looking through what does it look like to abide in Christ personally so I have the life of Christ in me. Um, and, and that, I'll tell you what, it is a battle to not just rely on past experience uh, instead of going to the Holy, you know, the Spirit in a, in a given situation, go, this is a unique thing. Is there, yes, experience helps, but what are you doing right here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not allowing the Bible to become a, a um, you know, a textbook. And, you know, um, it, the, the real battle to long-term ministry is not allowing uh, your heart to become hard and, uh, you know, asking God to constantly help you with that and being honest about that when it happens. One of the things that really helps me is I have my counselor on speed dial mm -hmm. because I have great friends and and that's so helpful. Uh, but there are some times I get so knotted up in my own life that I need a counselor to help me pull the strands apart to ask the right questions. And so I'm blessed to have somebody in my life who who helps me unpack. And me and my wife still go, you know, every year a little bit to just like a tune up to not let things pull me out of, um, you know, that abiding deep relationship with the Lord that's easy to, to look past mm -hmm. and, and just start working for God instead of saying, staying soft. So um, this world is crazy right now. It is a hard time to lead. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have those things in your life, or if you, you know, you don't, you don't build on those foundations, boy, you get rocked pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. That's so good. So good. And then the second question, I'm a youth pastor, I believe in the next generation. It's the title of my podcast. Who is someone that has seen you as the next generation and raised you up? Could be yesterday, oh. could be uh, very early on, someone who's believed in you, spoken into your life. Yeah. Uh, there's several people that that could have treated me as I deserved and didn't. Obviously, mm -hmm. my mom, my dad and mom. Mm -hmm played a huge part and still to this day play a huge part. I think about guys like John Merrick, who was just a superintendent of schools who could have kicked me out of school. I mean, that that's a story, you know, uh, I think about even some secular guys who weren't even necessarily what I would call believers, but God even used, I mean, if he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through an unbeliever. And I, <laughs> yeah, and, and, sure. and I, have hope too. I mean, yeah. if he can speak through a donkey, God can even work in, in me too. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, I, I've had, um, you know, uh, guys like uh, Doug Crozier, Solomon Foundation, different guys in my life 
that spoke in and said things to me that I needed to hear at the time. Guys on my staff here, Dan Lynch and Bill Krause and, you know, Randy McInesby. I'm blessed with some of the greatest friends and obviously my wife, who is just an angel. And uh, some some of those great, strong women in my life who mm-hmm. could put me in my place. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but but looking back to the, to all of that, you know, my dad hung in there with me, and and there were others along the way as well. But um, he's the one who decided that you know. Again, I don't remember any sermons he ever preached. Very few. Uh, I remember him discipling me in person that made the difference in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a testament to to being faithful and and speaking truth and and sticking it out. Uh, you're you are an example of of all of that, and such an encouragement for those who are in a similar spot, speaking into someone's life. And um, so grateful, grateful for you. Thanks so much for joining me today. I am thankful for for your hard work and your passion for discipleship and raising up leaders, connecting leaders, shared language, and and moving forward on mission. Blessings on you as you continue to do that ministry and your family and, um, and as you're wrestling with what it means to be healthy and even just in that personal journey leading during these, these times. Blessings on you in that. Well, I appreciate that. Now, I'll, I, the, everything that was created in those books was developed by a team here, because we do do things better together, and and uh, and so I'm I'm just blessed to be here at Real Life Ministries with my brothers and sisters in Christ for all these years, and I look forward to whatever God has next. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I love Jim's heart for discipleship. My encouragement to you is, if you're interested at all to go get the book, Real Life Discipleship, and you'll be able to kind of see written out and outlined the processes and the things that he and his church and leadership have thought through. I'd encourage you to do that. If you feel like you have somebody in your life that would benefit, I'd encourage you to share this. And I know it'll be encouragement to a lot of people, especially those who are really trying to think through discipleship and what that looks like in their own lives, maybe in leadership, would love for you to pass it along. I hope these conversations have been beneficial to you. We are coming up kind of on the tail end of content, going to probably release a couple more and then take a break for the summer. So until next week, blessings on you as you raise up the next generation where you're at. We'll see you then.